we come this morning to uh, a, a subject that was sort of a natural occurrence when we started brainstorming on what God's love can handle. Um, <clears throat> we bring up the subject this morning of doubt. And <clears throat> I would argue that doubt is universal to the human condition. We are all in a position of, let's call it limited perception. Our ability to access who God is and to assimilate that into our own hearts is limited. It is first and foremost uh, completely limited by sin. And if I understand the Bible correctly, that puts all of us in a starting point of really having an inability to believe. Like we are, uh, what did God say to Adam would happen on the day that he ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? On the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Paul tells us in the second chapter of Ephesians, as for us, we were dead in our trespasses and transgressions. Um, so if we are spiritually dead, that means we have no native capacity to believe. Then, if I understand Ephesians chapter 2 and the rest of God's Word correctly, God, through His Holy Spirit, through the power of the cross and the, and the movement of the Holy Spirit, opens our hearts to believe. He performs a spiritual CPR on us and resuscitates us to life, spiritual life. We come to life spiritually through His grace. So then we stand in this awkward place uh, one author, one Christian author, put it this way, we, we, whether we want to admit it or not, we have one foot in this fallen reality as Christians. We have another foot in God's eternal kingdom. We live in two places. This place where, where we exist in what we can perceive easily um, is actually a reflection of the truths in this place where we have a limited ability to perceive spiritually. And in that tension, we will often gravitate back to that place where we are comfortable, where we started from, of only believing what we can perceive. So we're all from Missouri in that sense, you know, the show me state. Sorry, I'm just not picking on you. I mean, we're saying we're all with you there, yeah. But that we only tend to believe what we can prove or perceive with some degree of certainty. And God calls us to sometimes stand on this other foot that only sees by faith, that only perceives uh, via the conduit that God has established between himself and us, that activity of faith. And so, 
if you are like me, you find yourself blessed to have a foot in this spiritual world, to have life occurring within you spiritually, and you simultaneously feel tempted to stand back on this other foot. And that is where doubt lives. That place where we are shrouded and sort of limited in our ability to perceive and believe. So, I want to, I want to sort of help you, first and foremost, to understand that doubt is universal. It is absolutely universal. And I'll, I'll do that by reading a couple of passages to you. These are both from, these are from two different Gospels, two very different authors. And the first we're going to take up is from the Gospel of Matthew. And at the very end, after Jesus has been raised from the dead, he's, he's died, he was buried, he was resurrected, and then he was spending time with his 11 disciples at this point. Um, <clears throat> we hear these words, and I I hope that you will find this encouraging to some extent, but here they are in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 and 17. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Can I just tell you I am so glad Matthew included that little afterthought. I am so blessed that he thought to say that. These are the 11. These are the most spiritually grounded in Christ humans on the planet at that time. These are the 11 who would go on to spread the church that is still spreading around the world. They started this movement. These are the, the, the workhorses that the church would be carried forward with. And some of them doubted. Wow. That's, you know, this is how we know that the Bible isn't just made up. If you're making up a myth about Zeus, you don't show weakness in your deity that you're putting out there. You make him into a, a, a Marvel character who can conquer anything, right? This is so real. The 11, the, the, the biggest voices in the kingdom of God, some of them doubted. So, my point there, we're in good company. So, we will continue. I want to read to you from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. This is the passage from which we get the term doubting Thomas. So here we go. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. 
As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I love that guy. Both of them, actually, Thomas and Jesus, have incredible um, sense of presence as John describes this occasion. My relationship with doubt is weird. I did not grow up doubting God. I grew up denying God, or um, what do you call the Heisman, the stiff arm, like to his face mask, right? Like, I knew he was there. I didn't question his existence. I just didn't like him being involved in the details of my life. Because I love people involved in the details of my life, don't I, honey? I'm very open and receptive to sharing the, the Heisman. The Heisman. Yeah. I wasn't dabbing. No, I wasn't dabbing. Um, I, I do not natively share the details of my personal life. I don't like people up in my business, right? And so I knew growing up that God knew too much, and I wasn't comfortable with that. 
But at some point, I, I like to say it this way, he, he just shattered that whole little facade that I had going in my life. He broke through and changed me internally. So I believed, and I don't, uh, I don't, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't struggle with doubt regularly, but every once in a while, doubts creep in. And they go, you know, kind of like this. What makes you think you can be their pastor? What spiritual quality do you really bring to the table? Do I really believe the gospel at its deepest core level? Here's what helps me. I'm looking at the people who help my unbelief. I, I look at what God has done in your lives, you, like, whoa. But I could stop at any set of eyes in the room and be reassured that God is not just real. He's alive and well and strong and good. And so there's... There's the self-doubt that leads to the cosmic doubt that then all breaks down when I get back full circle to the way that God moves in people's lives. Could have been looking at you, Lewis. Could have been looking at you, George. Sean, we're still waiting. Just kidding. <laughs> but you get my point. We, we are surrounded by evidence of the gospel. Not like scientific evidence, but human evidence. And so, what can we take away from these passages as it relates to the subject of doubt? That if we are to get to the point where we understand that God's love can handle doubt, we have to be real. We have to be real like the gospel authors were real. They didn't hide the dirty details. They included it all. And being real with God starts with being honest about where we are, who we are what we are, what we are not. Go back to Thomas for a minute. Have you ever heard the statement that, that anger is a part of grief? When you, when you lose someone or you lose something important to you in life, part of your human response to that is anger. Typically, that anger is sharpest when there's some level of injustice involved in your loss. If you were fired unjustly or laid off for no reason at all, there's an injustice in that that wells up anger within you about that situation. 
where you incurred a loss. Can you feel the anger in Thomas's words? I, I do. I'm not going to believe it. If I stick my finger in his hand, I'm not going to believe it. He's mad because all of his hopes for what he thought salvation would be died on that cross. And he, he, is, he is mourning the loss of hope eternal. And he's angry. He says, I'm not going to believe it if he kicks me in the teeth. Thankfully, he didn't say that. Because Jesus did exactly what he said he needed in order to believe. But this humanity that is expressed by Thomas. So we don't, we don't have accurate records of what happened to Thomas after the New Testament uh, is concluded, but it is believed that he actually went, like, well, everybody else was circling the Mediterranean and planting churches. Thomas went east, which to you would be that way, and he went through Syria, what modern-day Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, and into India, what would today be Pakistan, and then India. And he planted churches all along the way. So today, archaeologists are discovering Christian symbols in some of these countries, and they're wondering to themselves, like, these couldn't be that old. They couldn't possibly be 2,000 years old or 1,900 years old. There were no Christians here for several centuries later, uh, but there are little snippets of evidence here and there, little crosses etched into rocks and things like that that date to these periods, and they're baffled. This is your guy, the doubting, fearful Thomas. I also love the fact that these 11 men who are going to change the world are huddled behind a locked door to protect themselves from the crowds of people who would love to just wipe them off the face of the earth for their blasphemy. Um, brave, brave Sir Robin. He bravely ran away. So <clears throat> we can be and need to be honest about where we are. With God, and with the people around us. If you want to give Thomas credit for anything, you can tell that he trusted these men. He trusted these men that he had been with for three years to say, I won't believe it. Even if I stick my finger in his wounds, I won't believe it. And the other ten must have been going, dude, I don't think I would have said that quite that strongly if I were you. That's... Uh, because we have actually seen him, and you're toast, man. But this is how, this is how these 11 learn that, that their standing with God is not based upon their performance, their good behavior, their faithfulness. 
It's based on the faithfulness of Christ. Lesson number one. And so we have to be willing to be honest about where we are with God and with others, and we cannot worry about appearances. I, I can't look at any particular people when I say that. But, and I, I think, you know, I would love for you to believe that I don't care about appearances. It's not actually true. I do. Um, I care very differently than other people in my life in the way that they care about appearances, but we all care about how other people perceive us. And Thomas was not afraid to reveal his true heart. Um, And the entire, uh, well, some portion of those 11 were able to be honest enough that the gospel author who wasn't there was told by eyewitnesses, yeah, we worshiped him when he showed up in Galilee, but some of us doubted. Some of us still had doubts. We still didn't really get it. Um, We have to be willing to let others see our flaws and to let God know our hesitations. You know, when it says some of them doubted, some doubted, these are people who had physically, on, standing on this foot that is in this existence, they had physically, visibly seen the risen Christ. They knew what had happened. And they still had doubts swimming around in their minds. And this is somehow miraculously recorded for us, I think, largely to reassure us that doubt is common to the human fallen condition. So, if we're going to be real, we must also then be receptive. The passage in John, what would you say is Jesus' first concern. He says it three times. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. This tells you what is important to Jesus that we take in His peace, that we find peace for our souls in our relationship with Him. Verse 31 tells us this, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Christ is the Greek word for anointed one, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. We are to take in God's peace by finding His grace through His Son, Jesus Christ, and finding life for our souls. The coming back to life of what was dead within us. 
This is where peace begins. God settles the score and levels the field and allows us to return into His presence. So receptivity begins with this coming back to who God is in Christ and resting there in His saving work, His righteousness, His grace, His forgiveness, His goodness. And we go from that place of peace to take up our calling. You and I are no different from these 11. They doubted and they were sent to literally change the world. God used these doubting, fearful souls to spread His gospel to the entire known world. Um, you and I are so called to take up our calling. We must remember that we have His Spirit within us. This has been a uh, you know, this particular series on what God's love can handle, the number of times that the, the deposit of the Holy Spirit within us has come up in the text from which we've been preaching is astonishing. It surprised me. I mean, I've always known that's true, right? We study these things. But the number of passages that remind us that we are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, there's a lot of them. And when we're talking about our struggles as humans and the way in which God's love comes underneath that, the presence of His Holy Spirit seems to be one of the most valuable aspects to God moving within us in our humanity. And so we must remember as verse 22 in John's passage, the passage from the Gospel of John reminds us that we have His Spirit within us and we have His authority upon us. Now, who should I pick on? Right? I'll just pick on me, but... Uh, no, you don't need to fight. You don't need to fight. It's okay. Um... So, what God is telling me here, what Jesus says, is that His authority rests on us if we forgive someone of their sins, they're forgiven. Does that creep you out a little? Yeah, you got the creepy face going. It creeps me out a little bit. But let me make sure I got this right. It's in verse 23 of John chapter 20, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. I don't want that kind of authority. But guess what? 
we have been charged with carrying the gospel of God's grace and forgiveness into the world to demonstrate to other people what God has demonstrated to us. And it doesn't matter if you doubt it. In fact, that may be one of the qualifications for carrying forward God's love and grace into the world is that you are a fellow doubter with the 11 who started it all. We're still talking about this guy. And it's because of these 11 doubters who were fearful and hesitant. And we should be reminded each and every day we have a mission to share this love and grace and forgiveness and we have the actual presence of God within us to ensure that it can be carried out. And so we continue as a church some of us doubt doesn't seem to be a disqualification it seems to be a starting point because when you run into other people in the world who are doubting they need to know that you've had those same hesitations and fears will you pray with me God our Father we thank you for your word We thank you that you give us your Holy Spirit to overcome our doubts and fears, to fill us and lead us, and to give us the power to carry your gospel forward into this world. Lord, lead us into the relationships and friendships where your gospel is needed, that others might see through these broken vessels, the light of your love through Jesus Christ. It is in his name we pray. Amen.